If we are to be spiritually formed in Christ, we must have and must implement the appropriate vision, intention, and means. Not just any path we will take will do. If this vim pattern is not put in place properly and held there, Christ simply will not be formed in us. And here, in a nutshell, is the explanation of the widespread failure to attain Christian maturity among both leaders and followers. Those who are Christians by profession, and seriously so, we must add, today do not usually have, are not led into, the vision, intention, and means that would enable them to routinely progress to the point where what Jesus himself did and taught would be the natural outflow of who they really are on the inside. This kind of pervasive inner transformation is not envisioned, not intended, and therefore not achieved. But in the call of Jesus to live with him as his student and apprentice, the heart is what matters and everything else will then come along. And the process of inward renovation starts from the stark vision of life in the kingdom of God. Friends, it's Morgan Snyder back for another episode of the Become Good Soil podcast with my favorite guest once again, my bride, my partner, Sherry Snyder. Hi, Sherry Bear. Hi, buddy. Um, We are so grateful to dive into another topic, um, a very specific, practical tool that um, we've used as as an interpretive grid for years. And as practical as it is, it's actually a doorway into deep mystery that keeps bringing more and more discovery into more joy, more victory, more life, more goodness. And Sherry, you really were the first one to bring this idea to us from our good, um, faithful sage, Dallas, who, as my friend Brett said, when you spend as much time with Dallas Willard as we have, you can call him D. Willie, mm-hmm. um, Grandpa D. Willie. So uh, we've feasted on his books and his teaching for lots of years. And he introduces this idea as vision, intention, and means. So I wanted to in- explore that with you and hear where God's taken you in that topic and what kind of fruit it brings and um, how this can help our allies around the globe. Once our kids started full-time school, I was in a season of just really immersing myself in Dallas's work. And I downloaded Renovation of the Heart on Audible. I can actually remember watering my flowers in the front of our choke cherry house, listening to this chapter on vision, intention, and means and rewinding it, and then having it work on me, as Dallas says. Dallas says, a good teacher makes something um, memorable, such that even if I don't understand it the first time around, I can remember it so it can keep working on me. For Dallas, he describes it, it's a it's a pattern for human transformation, but it, it's, in fact, we can see it, you know, anywhere working in any human endeavor. I think what's so helpful about that, Sherry, when, when Dallas says a pattern for human transformation— One of the aches when we think about our own lives often or just the body of of God's people around the globe is this question of like, why aren't we growing? Why aren't we changing? And we ask that question with compassion 
there is a generative nature about the kingdom, and yet we find ourselves very stuck or this this stasis. And this is so hopeful. Um, this vision, intention, means concept that Dallas introduced to us, not only in very practical matters, like ways to conquer something tangible that feels like the impossible, but ultimately, as you're alluding to that we'll dive into today, um, this idea of putting on the character of Christ. We are invited to become like Christ, and we can. Like, that's actually possible. The how is where we get tripped up, and that's what we want to explore today. Basically, what Dallas describes is he says, when it comes to human change, uh, we can look for this pattern of vision, intention, and means. First, he uses a really pragmatic example, and he describes um, the desire to learn a foreign language. And he talks in this example actually about learning the language Arabic. He, He says, for example, if I had a desire to learn Arabic. I'd have to first start with my vision. Why do I want to learn Arabic? What will be granted to my life? What improvement will it bring? What joy will it bring? Also, what what would be the cost of learning Arabic? Why would I want to learn it? And he said that so often what happens is we don't have an adequate vision. He says if we don't have an adequate vision of something, of what what it would the benefit it would bring to our life, we um, simply won't choose for it. And he contrasts this to the motive that people around the world have to learn English. So for example, let's say in an Arabic country where um, humans are motivated to learn English, that they see how uh, learning English is going to improve their lives. They see the opportunities it will give them. They see that it's well worth whatever effort they would have to put in. And therefore, they have an adequate vision that then collects all of their energies toward that vision. He basically says that so often as it relates to spiritual formation in Jesus, we don't have an adequate vision for what the offer is. He talks about that parable that Jesus shares and recorded in the Gospels where he says that the kingdom of God is like a treasure buried in a field and a woman or man comes upon it, finds that treasure and in joy sells everything that he or she has in order to possess it. When we have an adequate vision of the kingdom of God and of the with God life that Jesus is offering. So this question of what is our vision? Is our vision adequate? Are we finding that our vision is something so wonderful that we're literally compelled, quote unquote, to sell everything in order to possess the treasure that is the offer of Christ? And what's really helpful when we talk about vision with an on-ramp, it can be something really practical, like I have a vision to be debt-free right? So the vision is a life free from debt. And the idea is this is meant to mature where it goes from very practical things to actually the practicality of all things that we become like Christ. So we have a vision to put on the character of Christ. So he takes us through this growth cycle with these three parts, the first being vision, the second being intention. How is that different from vision? So we have a vision and then the intention is I have decided, I have made a decision, I am choosing. Mm-hmm. And Dallas says it's different from professing something. It's, it's actually an act of will of I have decided. And it's a practice to get honest about our intentions. And you and I, I think we've even talked about this on a podcast, but I have struggled with being late almost all of my life since I was in elementary school. And 
I think um, there have been, you know, this VIM pattern, Dallas shortens the acronym V-I-M, vision, intention, means. He calls it the VIM pattern. I can see it work in my chronic lateness. And you could say that on the one hand, for a long time, I didn't have a vision of what would be, that that compelled me to want to be timely. Mm -hmm. But then for so long, I had a wish to be on time, but I hadn't decided to be on time. Right, and, and even Dallas, a profession, yeah. right? A profession <laughs> right. of so I like, will be on time, yes. but but it's worth naming yeah. because you have done so much work and For you are sure. now an on-time person yes. most of the time. One of the phrases that really saddens me more than any phrase when it's talked about an older person is they are set in their ways. We come to describe human being as very fixed and we just lack the vision and imagination for a growth mindset. And you have been transformed, Cher, by this very practice of a person who is mostly on time. And that's extraordinary. Like that's cause of celebration, of just triumph of Christ in you, because the goal is to care for people well, care for yourself well, care for others for well. For sure. And I think for me, it was this light bulb went on where I knit, I learned you know, this, the power, um, there's actually, it's a quote by Oprah, but she says, it is not, I will try. It's, I have decided. And I think for so long, I was like, I will try to be on time. Like if, if, you know, sort of waiting almost for just this magical circumstance, um, hoping for it that would deliver me on time. But I had, um, I just had failed to see this power of, I have decided. And once I have decided to be on time, then you know, everything prior to that, frankly, for, you know, the hour or two prior has to be organized around I had decided. Well, a similar application of it for me is I realized I needed more rhythm of just pausing and breathing and recentering on God and not just going with this current where you part of your day goes by and you go, where was God? Like I wasn't praying. I wasn't connected. I was just going in my own strength. And so I created this reminder from an app saying two minutes, every other hour, I will pause um, because I had decided that I wanted this. But that reminder came on my phone probably a couple hundred times when I add up every other hour and I didn't do it once. I actually really didn't decide. I had professed it would be good, but I didn't decide. And what I found in getting into part three of the means is it was too big of a hurdle. It was actually, it, it wasn't reasonable. And I had to be really honest with micro adjustments are actually very, very powerful that bring massive transformation over time. And so I backed it down to 30 seconds every two hours and it totally changed everything, because I had decided it was that important to me, but that was the on-ramp. It's really empowering to know, like you said, I choose, because I choose gets you really honest, because then you can get into part three with compassion and care of what is the on-ramp. So take us in vision, intention, and... Means. Okay. Them. Okay. So the means would be the uh, practical steps to achieving whatever the vision is that you and the that you have decided to pursue. So um, you know, this idea, um, just back to Dallas's example of learning to of wanting to learn Arabic, you know, we would think it's it 
it kind of crazy if someone was like, I, I really want to learn Arabic and I'm just going to sit on the side of the road. I've decided to, and I'm just going to sit here until I learn it. Like we, we would acknowledge that you're not going to be able, even if you've decided, if you don't have means that are effective, um, you aren't going to learn Arabic. This idea of let's be curious about the means and Morgan, to your point about that difference between the two minute pause and the 30 second pause is something that I'm finding so encouraging is effectively to be relentless in searching and seeking the means that become the right authentic on-ramp. Exactly. And um, so often for me in the past, I think I've, um, I've thought I should be able, let's say, if we're talking about like steps, I should be able to walk up a, or like walk up a step that is 12 inches high symbolically. When in fact, when I'm honest with myself, I can only walk up a step that's three inches high. Like that first step has to be so much lower than I expect. And I'm learning to trust the good news of the father that the step might be three inches instead of a foot or it just might be the tiniest, you know, we talk about it, a uh, two degree shift, the tiniest shift. But it, in order for it to be real means, it has to actually be something that I can do. Friends, it's so important to be mindful that that's not settling. It's actually informing of what the Father has for us for what's next, for what's portioned. I think a great book on this topic is Atomic Habits, where um, it's just brilliant on um, the power of habits, and he trains like high profile athlete, pro athletes around the world. And the idea is he talks about the power of 1%, where actually the most transformation happens in micro shifts consistently over time. And so it's actually very kind and it's also very informative because, you know, Richard Foster has unpacked this a lot that the heroism is not associated with the spiritual disciplines as a baseline. We, we tend to think the more heroic, the more transformation. But in fact, when it comes to the life of the disciple, it's actually not heroism as much as it is practice, patience, playfulness, testing, experimenting. Those are better words in this arena. And over time, growth happens exponentially. And so this can be very hopeful if we're willing to consent to a process that takes time. So vision, intention, and means. Before we dive too deep, just by way of wrapping our head around it again, I'd love to just talk through some scenarios. Okay. For example, what happens when you have two and not the third and just kind of how that plays out. And I'll just give one example. So vision, intention, and means. Let's say I have a vision for something and I've set an intention for something, but I really don't have the means. Story that came to me of a powerful leader, some longstanding struggles that were manifesting some very significant problems in his family life um, from decades of lack of tending to them. He had a vision of what it would like to be free and whole and well. And he had enough pain that he had set an intention but he had been through so many means that were ineffective, he really still felt defeat. And he set his sights on this one intervention 
that felt like, well, nothing else has worked. I'm going to try this. And then COVID hit and that intervention became impossible because of some circumstances. And so it felt like he had no means, had a vision, had an intention, but no means. And there was just a a serious atmosphere of, of defeat. Let's try a different version. So you have an intention towards something and there are means towards something but you really haven't cultivated a vision. You can't really see towards an outcome. What would you say is the fruit of that sort of way of living with means and with an intention, but lacking vision? Newmark, I identify with that. Even recently, I felt um, like my vision became obscured on this very topic of spiritual transformation in Christ. And you know, you could say it might be because my means were off, but as I've reflected on it, it really was my vision was off and questioning the potency of the gospel to change people and to interrupt the propagation of oppressive parts of culture and oppressive parts of society. And now I can see my vision for the potency of Jesus and the Christian life was really failing. I was almost wanting to distance myself from even from Jesus, feel like I had to walk away from him. I didn't want to be any part of what I saw as the public witness of Mm. people who were following him. My vision had become distorted where I felt like, gosh, you know, I I can't find a viable way to walk with Jesus. I don't see it in in the in our public context right now. And and I felt like Jesus came to me and he he just caught me when I was in a time of prayer and he said, Sherry, who do you who do you say I am? And realizing that I needed to come back to him and regain my vision from him, that I had really been just sort of looking at current events and getting demoralized. And he showed me again the vision that it really is God-initiated. My intention is is reinvigorated. I have decided to follow Jesus. I say he's the anointed one. I say he's the image of the invisible God. And I choose to be his disciple. I've decided I have the means that we've accumulated, but I but my vision is renewed. And I had lost a vision for the with God life. All of a sudden, my intention and my means that were there reignited. Yeah, it's so helpful and hopeful to break down these categories. So vision, intention, and means. And the third way we could look at this is what happens when you have a vision and what happens when you have means, but you haven't set an intention. I think what I would name it is the result is simply no change and choosing to stay in the shallows and not follow Jesus's invitation into the deep. And one just really practical application of that, like I have struggled with an addiction to caffeine most of my adult life. As I've grown, I've stepped into a fast in January where I've gotten clean. And then February is like a party. I get to go back to all my less wild lovers, right? So this time last year, I had this really rare hunt in New Mexico where I was chasing a Barbary sheep. It was the first couple days of January. But what I remember most of that adventure was having a horrific headache for three days. I remember laying in the back of my truck, just so angry, but below the angry, just sad of I have chosen to miss this hunt and I'm paying the price, the wages of sin or death. And I'm in a fetal position in the back of my truck and there is no way to get through this but detox. And so another January, I detox during my hunt and 
I was free. And I realized I knew the means. And I had a vision of what it was like to not be at the mercy of caffeine. I hit January 31st, and I realized I had actually never set an intention to be free from caffeine. I had a vision for it. I had the means for it. I did it year after year, but I never had an intention. And I had become the kind of person through this fast. I said, I no longer want to be ruled by it. And so this is no longer a fast. This is a way of living. I choose. I have decided. And that actually you know, took place. And still, what I can say is like, I am no longer addicted to caffeine. And so over the next 12 months, I had a few you know, servings of caffeine here and there, a long road trip, trying to stay awake to keep the family safe and enjoying cappuccino in a moment of just pleasure um, on a date. But for the most part, I don't consume caffeine. And the important illustration is I never set an intention really to be free. And so it took the vision, the means, and the intention, and the life that comes, it's just so worth it because it's not about caffeine. It's about my spirit and knowing that like, I'm in the service of love and not the service of a less a wild lover. In light of that, I want to dive a little deeper. Vision, intention, and means, there are practical ways you can try this on, and I would encourage you as an exercise when this podcast concludes, is take a few minutes and simply write out vision, intention, and means in some area that you have felt encumbered that's small. Uh, We're not trying to run the marathon overnight, but pick something. I remember a couple mentors gave us the challenge of taking a two-week vacation, and we were young in our marriage, young in our life, abysmally young in our finances, it felt impossible. And I didn't know people that did that sort of thing, right? Other than these mentors. But we received a vision for it. And then we set an intention where we said, we have decided we will do this. And I remember the means, and it's actually very emotional because I think back where I went to my supervisor and said, I would like to take this trip. And I am going to take two weeks of unpaid leave um, if you approve it, because we don't have the vacation budgeted for it. And just making that act of making the choice and saying the means are I'm going to withdraw funds and time and take a risk of going to my supervisor. And we did it. And I remember on day 13, I'll never forget that day. There was just this shift of like rest and ease and life and realizing it's worth it. But again, it was a very practical exercise for a a vision, intention, and means that was accessible. But where I want to get to is the whole point of this practice and this growth cycle is to become like Christ, to partake in Christ, to put on the character of Christ, right? Like Dallas says that vision, God's vision you know, is his will be done. It's the range of his effective will. And to have the vision that both today and forever, we can partake in God's vision for reality. Like, and now through means and intention, we can lay out steps to bring that reality on earth as it is in the heavens because we have decided we can actually become like Christ if we practice what he practices. How do we do that? What does it look like? 
where do we get tripped up when we lack? I'd really love to transfer this vision, intention, and means pattern to our discipleship to Christ. And I have a couple of questions to ask you. First, I wanted to read a quote from Renovation of the Heart. If we are to be spiritually formed in Christ, we must have and must implement the appropriate vision, intention, and means. Not just any path we will take will do. If this vim pattern is not put in place properly and held there, Christ simply will not be formed in us. And here, in a nutshell, is the explanation of the widespread failure to attain Christian maturity among both leaders and followers. Those who are Christians by profession, and seriously so, we must add, today do not usually have, are not led into, the vision, intention, and means that would enable them to routinely progress to the point where what Jesus himself did and taught would be the natural outflow of who they really are on the inside. This kind of pervasive inner transformation is not envisioned, not intended, and therefore not achieved. But in the call of Jesus to live with him as his student and apprentice, the heart is what matters and everything else will then come along. And the process of inward renovation starts from the stark vision of life in the kingdom of God. I'd love to ask you about vision and how would you say that your vision has changed over the years and what do you see the fruit of the various visions that you've had in terms of either um, prohibiting your growth or inspiring and fueling it? Yeah, it's interesting to dial into purely the idea of what was the vision fueling my life in God and how that changed over seasons. I think as a child, the vision was God is distant and he is about rules. And if you break them, you're bad. And I've broken all the rules that I know of, so I'm really bad. And so it's a terrifying vision for life. You ought to do it. You should do it, but it's not life. When I came into a relationship with God, the vision was he offers repentance and cleansing of our soul. And that was plenty. Like at the time, that's what I needed. What I needed was a chance to confess. What I needed was a chance to be washed clean. What I needed was a chance for another start. And that was enough for a time. It was interesting, Sherry, as you posed the question on vision, I was in a a beautiful campus ministry, but it was very much like a reformed model and a reformed theology. And though there was much beauty in it and some of the best books, I've just finished a reformed book, Union with Christ. It was amazing. Um, There's so much goodness. What I found lacking was the power to change. Even in this very staunch campaign of predestination, for example, all the explanations of why we should pray didn't seem to be that effective because if God knows everything and it doesn't move God or change things, then why do we pray, right? And so I found I didn't have a vision for prayer. And therefore, I prayed out of obligation, but not really out of true passion and intimate relationship. 
at the time, there wasn't a vision for the genders. And so I knew in my soul so much of reality came down to masculinity and femininity, but there was no expression of that. There was this kind of gender neutralizing of maturity. And I didn't have a vision for what a wholehearted woman and a wholehearted man looked like. And so that just felt like this stagnant place of just kind of put your gender aside or find ways to feel like a man, but that doesn't have to do with your spiritual formation, right? It was a place where I lacked vision. So it takes me to a season, I was in college, I'll never forget this, where I was all about evangelism, right? People need to know Christ and people need to avoid hell and be saved for eternity. That was the vision that I was given of what Christianity is. And so I remember walking around Europe thinking, who is saved and who is not saved and who's going to hell and who's not going to hell. And now I look back of just how paralyzing that was and how um, stressful it was and and really demoralizing because you felt ineffective to bring change. And I remember in our fellowship of, of people there, I was getting to know, and I was a young Christian, there was this Jewish gal. And I remember hanging out with her all the time thinking, I have to find the angle to introduce her to Christ because this is my moment. And if I don't, and this is my last chance to see her, like she won't be saved. And the pressure and, and my more than pressure how it lost the passion for relationship and imagination and creativity and understanding this next piece of the vision that came much later in my Christianity that I often talk about as reference in Becoming a King. The most important thing about a human being we can ever know is that they bear the image of God, that the truest essence of every human being, Jewish, Muslim, Christian is that they are formed in the Imago Dei, that, that Christ's design is in them, and that everyone has this, this majestic quality that they're to bring forth on the earth, and every person has something beautiful to communicate, and that ultimately, salvation and restoration is on God. It's not on me. And it's not on any person. And my vision transformed to being much more participatory and understanding its partnership that we are led to co-rule as image bearers. And so I'm just pointing out these, these moments of vision that were fueling how I was living and they weren't bringing fruit, but they were the best vision I was handed at the time. I wasn't satisfied. I would come back from conversations with that, that Jewish gal. And I remember feeling that she knew I saw her as a project and not a person. But I didn't know what else to do. So fast forward, I remember being in this worship time with this campus ministry. And the culture was, you sit, you never stand. And it's, it's very hymnal-based. And like you don't raise your hands. And I, I didn't know anyone charismatic. And I didn't even know what that term was back then, but I just knew like everything in my body wanted to stand and wanted to like raise my hands because like my body wanted to manifest this like celebration of God. And it wasn't for anyone else. And it, I didn't could care less if anyone else was doing it, but I didn't want to be disruptive. And I'm like, all these mature leaders around me aren't doing it. So maybe I'm just weird. 
So it's an example of I, I move myself to the back of the room where I couldn't be seen. And then I raised my hands and I stood and I, I expanded my vision. I've taken my pain and I've taken my ache for more and said, I will not settle. And settle and be satisfied are two different things because they, they hang in balance. There, there is a satisfaction that comes from God all is well. We can be well in this moment and yet not diminish our thirst for more. And so I think I kept responding to a father, though I didn't know he was at work at the time, giving another invitation into more, another invitation. It came through masculine initiation. It came through moving west, meeting John, and then um, reading the sacred romance, and reading Wild at Heart, and having my eyes and heart opened up. There is more, and it's available. And now I look out over the last two and a half decades, and I see it's a constant broadening of my vision. So Sherry, how about you? I'd love to put the question back to you and go on to the next category on intention. Thinking about intention and how that plays such a central role in our spiritual formation, this inner transformation through small steps over time. When you look back, where do you see in your story places that you lacked adequate intention? And what was the sort of process of identifying that inadequate intention? What did that look like? What happened? And what has worked for you uh, to be honest with yourself about intention? I can tell that probably the greatest effort I have been inspired to do is on the level of vision as it relates to the kingdom of God. And I find it's like, you know, how you talk about Chesterton saying, you know, every generation loses the gospel and every generation is charged with its recovery. I I observe for myself, it's like, um, sometimes I feel like my vision is so vulnerable to growing dim. And I really am at the mercy of my father to um, feed me daily bread and to keep my vision of the kingdom vital and inspiring. I realize for me, as it relates to intention, is that this idea, and Morgan, I've shared this with you, I have decided it's just become to me, it's to me, it's part of the key of why I see areas where for so long I didn't experience transformation. But I can tell for me, Mark, what becomes slippery with I have decided is how to not tip over into it's up to me. Yes. And you know, you and I have talked about that so much of I think after I had this renewal of I have decided, I really um lost a vision for, and it's God's grace acting in me to accomplish what I can't on my own. So, you know, I think for the rest of my life, I'll be exploring this, what is my part I've decided, Mm -hmm. and what is God's part of God's grace acting in me and with me to accomplish what I can't by direct effort. So it's such a, I I just think I have decided the intention part is very layered for me because it it can tip over to self-saving. Yeah, I think it's a really good example of why New Year's resolutions mostly peter out, right? Where people come with, you know, fury um, and energy and optimism into January of, I want a different life. And yet, um, so much is played out in this arena of vision, intention, and means. They see a vision for losing weight or 
being more responsible, right? And then the intention, I've decided, but then there aren't means set up. And and it feels like an indictment because on some level you feel like I have decided, for example, to lose 10 pounds, but you really don't have the means that are kind, that are participating with a God that is meeting you where you are, doing what's good for you. And what's good for you may be losing 10 pounds. It may not be. And it may be on a timeline that you've set, or it may not be on that timeline. And it may be the treasures in the in-between that are actually the things that God's after. And so all those nuances, I just appreciate, Sherry, you pointing out, like, these are the deep waters, and this is what surfaces the frontier in our soul um, that God is after. There's a lot at stake. And so there is this beautiful um, balance that we recover in our prayer life, that we make a choice, I have decided, and that decision is always a response to God's initiative. So in wrapping up, take us into part three, vision, intention, and means. I would love to hear a story of where you have seen actually the means being very adequate, where over time you've learned there are places where it can lack, where you don't have the means, but then you learn how to cultivate through practice and experimentation means that really can help you to be the on-ramp, to practice what you have decided and set your vision in motion in your walk with God to become like Christ. Can you give us any, a, a practical example? Right now, um, serving a means that is working is um, this practice of taking a break from problem solving to just be in communion with God and enjoy being alive in God's world in switching my mode of mind. Because I am drawn to a growth mindset, I can end up really um, being stuck in a mode of mind that's problem solving and evaluating, um, kind of measuring where I'm at. And I was talking with a dear friend recently, and she and I were talking about this. And it helped give me language for the means that I felt like God was using to rescue me from that overworking, overthinking. And we were imagining ourselves and our story to be like this bowl. And there's places where it feels like the bowl is just shot through, like complete holes in it from, from gaps in my story. There's places where, um, you know, gaps of development. There's places of real darkness where, you know, um, Della says like where our souls are ruined and we don't even have adequate vision for how ruined our soul is. And God in His mercy doesn't let us see it all because we would be so discouraged. Mm-hmm. So just this places of ruin, there's a time for me to explore and kind of hone in on the details of, of my story and the ruin and, and, and the hope and what God's doing. But then there's these times where I have to remember to literally fall off the edge of the bowl into the contents, which is the life of God, and just experience union with God. You know, the means of just exploring the bowl and getting more clear on my story and more clear on everything is not adequate that is not very fruitful unless I'm also practicing just falling into the contents, which is the life of God. Sure, I really appreciate that description. And it brings back something that's also a means for me. Over time, you would make this comment to me about me. And very kindly, 
you would say, does the strategist always get to drive the bus? And it was playful and winsome, and it really helped me see I am a strategist. That's how I'm wired. That's Christ in me. And when it's immature and when it's not consented to God, that gifting can get in the way. I think and see the world as a strategist, but often that's not helpful. Often what's helpful is being a son. Often what's helpful is saying, that's good enough. Often what's helpful is shipping what is available rather than committing to what could be given who I am. And that image of the bus and the different parts of me, one of my really helpful means towards spiritual formation is to look at myself as this kind of school bus with all these different parts and ask the question, who's driving right now? And most of the times when I ask that question, it's the strategist and he's the boss and he tells everyone else what to do. And so it's easy for him to grab the wheel. But I actually envision saying to the strategist, thank you. You can stay on the bus. There's a seat for you, but it's not your turn to drive. It's someone else's turn to drive the bus. And I just find it's a very playful, practical tool to say right now, someone else needs to drive the bus. And so And so that's just an example of a means that's really helping me come into more intimacy with God because there's a part of me that dies and I need God's care. I need his eyes. I need his assurance that things will be well. Before we close with an exercise for all of our friends out there in this vision tension means, Cher, is there there an example for you of something that's forefront? You're looking, we're in the first quarter of a new year. And we've you know, prayed and received some words from God to shape it. We spent a beautiful time as a family reflecting back on last year. It was so fun to look back at our pictures and sit and ask the question, what is God like based on who he was in our last year? Right, Just very practical. This is what happened, and this is what we learned about who God is. As you're looking forward into this year and living into it, now that we have some time, vision, intention, and means, how is that playing out? Mark, one area that I have a renewed vision for and the intention and then curiosity around the means for me is related to my conversational relationship with Jesus and that practice of moment by moment obedience, sort of listening and and responding and and actually choosing to do what I feel like the Spirit is nudging me to do. And I'm aware that I can be really stiff-necked. I can really have decided how I want the day to go or the afternoon to go or the family dinner to go. And that's no longer working for me. I'm tired of that. I'm really interested in that moment by moment intimacy of you know, even if I feel like I have something to say and I feel but I feel the spirit urging me to hold my tongue and and be quiet and listen. I'm wanting in 2021 to deepen my pliability and my softness in that moment by moment dance with God's spirit. Feeling the Father says the means is literally it's pretty simple. It's it's moment by moment practicing receptivity 
get to train again tomorrow and the day after and the day after. So that training instead of trying. And um, so I'm excited to train in that pliability. So friends, I hope that we were able to give uh, a kind on-ramp into this idea of vision, intention, and means. And before we wrap up, I'd love to do a bit of an exercise just on my heart to say, rather than just content, let's make this applicable. Let's use the means of this time to try this on a little bit. So grab a piece of paper, wherever you are, if you can. If not, you can hit pause and come back to it or listen through and come back to it later. But I'd love for you to grab a piece of paper and just draw two columns and write vision, intention, and means. In the first column and the second column, vision, intention, and means. The first column is something very practical. It's something like I gave the example where we had the vision of a two-week vacation, which didn't feel possible. We didn't know people that did that sort of thing, but God was at work. So we set the vision, we came up with the intention, and we began exploring the means that took quite a long time to put in action, but they eventually happened. And then it became a way of life for us as a sabbatical rhythm for many years to follow. So how about you? Vision, intention, and means. What I want to invite you to be curious about is something very uh, possible, a kind on-ramp, something that is very life-giving, where it's just a context for you to practice this pattern of inner transformation. And then in the second column, I want to dive deeper into how do we apply this in this idea as Dallas talks about this pervasive inner transformation where our whole person over time becomes more and more like Christ. What would be the vision? What is the vision that you see in the life of Jesus? the vision that you see in the Father heart of God, the vision that you see in the Spirit, that God himself says this is possible and this is your future. What characteristic, what attribute, what expression, what story comes to your imagination as you think about who God is what he did, what he's doing, his work that's needed in the world. You don't have to do a lot of editing. Just notice what comes up. And then from that, when you have some time to unpack this, what is coming up from within you regarding an intention? Do you believe that God is enacting his power in order that you could say, I choose this. I am ready to choose to engage in this next step in my process of becoming. And then getting very practical, what are the means? And as Sherry and I talked about, if the means in which you set are unsuccessful and they feel like they're they're feeble or they're failing, then adjust the means. I love the story of Thomas Edison, where it said that as an inventor, he made over a thousand 
unsuccessful attempts at inventing the light bulb. So every time you see a light bulb, you can know that there was a heart of a passionate image bearer of God that had a vision for light and that had an intention and had to reinvent his means over a thousand times. <laughs> Feels like the closest description to parenting um, a teenage daughter for me. I feel like I'm on number 763 in my, my failed attempts. Um, and yet I don't lose heart and I don't grow weary in doing good. And so what are the means that our Father is in his generosity encouraging you towards and Jesus in his power is infusing you to do and spirit in his wild creative leadership over your life to lead you more. Friends, remember that there is always a frontier and the frontier is not always hard, but it is always holy. It's always sacred. It's always relational. It's always participating. This exercise may take some more time, and so don't try to shrink it and package it into this podcast. You may want to listen through all this again and then linger in this exercise, but stay with it and let God um, just fill and saturate your imagination and your resolve. Lord, I feel my own heart showing up as Morgan was inviting us to um, let our vision of you be refreshed what you're like, what you have done, what you are doing, what you will do in the restoration of all things. Lord, where our vision has grown dim, where the natural byproduct of our vision is not that it's the greatest bargain in the world to have the with God life, that we would be compelled to sell everything in order to possess um, sonship and union with you. Lord, where our vision is inadequate, would you come? Would you blast it open, God? Would you come and would you expand it, God, till we weep because it's more beautiful than we had even dared to imagine? God, reveal who you are. Reveal your kingdom. Reveal your Son. Reveal Holy Spirit. Reveal your heart as you mother and father and sustain the earth. Lord, correct where our vision is um, dim or distorted, where we've learned you wrong or learned your kingdom wrong. God, we want to know you as you truly are. Come, Holy Spirit, come. And Lord, would you let us be curious about where we feel like our intention is flagging. Lord, maybe um, if we see that we haven't yet decided, maybe it's because our vision is still not quite adequate. Would you help us to um, put more energy on seeing more rather than trying harder? I pray that our vision would become so great that our intention would follow suit so effortlessly, Lord. And then as we have decided, would you grant us the grace to be faithful and rigorous? in what we have decided in following you. Would you give us endurance, great endurance, Lord, as the Apostle Paul prays for his flock. He says that you would be filled with great endurance. Grant all of our friends great endurance. And Lord, for the means, Papa, be our shepherd. 
Would you guide us to the place, maybe surprise us with the light and easy burden of the means, this one degree or two degree shift? Would you grant us wisdom's long view, a vision that that carries us uh, across time so that we could be content, God, with maybe what feels like very humble means? And then would your spirit meet us in these means to accomplish more than we ever could by direct effort? Papa, show each man and each woman who's listening today very specific and effective means, perhaps surprising means, for the next leg in his or her journey. Thank you so much for this time together, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I'd like to close with this quote from Dallas Willard from The Renovation of the Heart, where he says, The revolution of Jesus is in the first place and continuously a revolution of the human heart. It did not and does not proceed by means of the formation of social institutions and laws, the outer forms of our existence intending that these would then impose a good order of life upon people who come under their power. Rather, His is a revolution of character, which proceeds by changing people from the inside through ongoing personal relationship to God in Christ and to one another. It is one that changes their ideas, beliefs, feelings, and habits of choice, as well as their bodily tendencies and social relations. It penetrates to the deepest layers of their soul. On the podcast page on becomegoodsoil.com for this episode, you can find a link to Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard. It's an excellent book. It has a beautiful workbook that goes with it if you want to dive deeper in this topic. And as you're going into this new year and you're looking to dive deep with other apprentices and those that want more of what God has for them, we encourage you pass this podcast along and let it be a conversation point and an activity um, to access more of God's kingdom that you can share among the like-hearted. We look forward to being together on another episode of the Become Good Soil podcast. Thanks for joining us.